Well, I will still never forget that fateful day, that fateful ride home from church. Uh, I was around 10 years old, and my dad was a pastor at a a covenant church in Massachusetts. And we took our gracious neighbor home, who I mentioned a few weeks ago, was, uh, we called her a grandma. She was uh, special to our family. And the ride was only seriously around 10 blocks long, but it seemed to last forever. You see, myself earlier in the, in the day and during the service, uh, myself and a, and a friend were causing some trouble. You can't believe it that a pastor would cause some trouble. Uh, anyways, we were goofing around. We were not uh, really uh, listening and so forth. And, and guess who saw it? Grandma. Grandma saw it. And so on our way home from from church that morning, Grandma gave me a little bit of loving rebuke. And so we after after her deliberation, we uh, we dropped her off and I kind of looked at my parents, you know, just kind of like with my eyes. I'm like, can you believe that? You know, and they just looked the other way and uh, I knew that I was busted. But I will never forget, though, that that love of uh, that correction that was from her. Well, we're continuing our really our sermon series on the 50 plus one another's in the New Testament and such as love one another, serve one another, pray for one another. And today I get the the treasure and the treat to do admonish one another. Um, I, I want you to note that Pastor Doug, he got serve one another. I got admonish one another. So let him know that. He got, he got a, yeah, he got a little lob pitch, you know. Um, anyways, uh, today we're going to look at what it means to admonish one another. And the word ad, admonish isn't something that we use every day. It's Probably something, a word that we don't use in, at least I don't use in my vocabulary. It's kind of like shunning. You know, we don't use the word shunning very much, but uh, same with admonish. We don't use it very much. But the word itself sounds harsh. Uh, To admonish, though, let me give you a little bit of a definition here. It means to set right, uh, to correct or warn or reprimand someone firmly. And to actually admonish someone in, in this day and age would, I think in this room, would have mixed emotions and mixed feelings. And so, um, because it's easy for us to just give grace. It's easy for us to just look the other way. It's, it's easy for us to, to really act out the bumper sticker that we see, uh, to act in tolerance. Well... The truth is also that none of us like to give or receive admonishment. It's probably why it is one of the one another's that we obey least. When we're on the receiving end, it can be painful to our pride. And no matter if it's from our, uh, a spouse or a friend or a boss, a neighbor or a fellow believer, it's still hard to our pride. Because we don't like to be corrected. Now, I'm not talking about uh, just strange quirks that we have or, or just personality traits that each of us have. 
because uh, I know my wife could be admonishing me all day long. But it's not about that. See, admonishment is um, important because it's really, truly about perversion that results in disobedience. And see, there is a difference. Perversion requires admonition so that our growth in Christ may continue. But when we feel like we have to admonish someone or someone admonishes us, we, it's, it's really truly because we are, something's happening in someone's life. It's prohibiting their growth in Jesus Christ, in their faith. And so we do need to act. But honestly, we do it poorly. You know, it's, it's kind of like throwing a, a ball with our opposite hand. It, it just feels awkward and it's just, it's just sloppy. So how do we give and receive admonishment? Because we hesitate. Because we don't feel like we are worthy. Uh, we feel like we are going to be judgmental or t- intolerant. And so we don't act this one another out. But the truth is, no excuse is good enough from our obligation to obey this command. We are responsible for each other. We might not believe it. We might not accept it. But it is the truth. Because I want you to listen to this. What we become as followers of Jesus Christ depends on how other believers respond to us when we're at our worst. Let me read that one more time. Who we are, what we are as, as uh, followers of Jesus depends on how other believers respond to us when we're at our worst. And this is best practiced early on. <clears throat> you see, uh, when we admonish things early, it really uh, um, it challenges lust before it becomes adultery. It challenges greed before it becomes materialism. It, it challenges uh, and confronts little lies before they become big ones. Well, our verse today in Colossians 3.16 affirms this need as well. As we see this passage, it says, uh, let me read it again. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. What, if you really unpack this verse, it's kind of a strange, at first light, it looks kind of a strange verse. What is, what is Paul thinking? He's mixing admonishment with gratitude and with singing psalms of praise. I don't know if I've been corrected. I'm not singing about it. It's painful. But at the same time, we need to understand what the purpose of admonishment is. It's supposed to be for out of love, for discipleship, discipleship and for restoration. Sometimes discipleship is tough love. But the purpose is for us to become more like Jesus Christ because of these words. And if well done, it will be lovingly advised. 
So how do we give and how do we receive admonishment? That's what we're going to look at today. And as we do, let's start in a, in a word of prayer. Lord God, uh, thank you for each person here that us together are the body of Christ. We are a family of believers and that you use one another to refine us, to change us, to help us to become more like you. Lord, help us to see it that way. Lord, break down our pride Give us humility. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was a, um, a man uh, seated at a table at an upscale restaurant. And the, the man proceeded to tie a, a napkin on, around his neck. Maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you do it yourself. And uh, so it kind of looked like a bib. And so... The maitre d' uh, uh, called the waiter aside and said, said to him, try to make the man understand that this is uh, as, really as tactfully as possible, that this is not acceptable in this kind of restaurant. And so the waiter approached uh, the customer and, and said, shave or haircut, sir? Come on, come on. Shave or haircut, sir? Thank you. Thank you, Shelley. Well, when it comes to admonishment, it's all in the approach. It truly is. Uh, first, to admonish someone, uh, our hearts need to be in the right place. For it takes humility and not power. Because behind the action lies the assumption that truly there is something wrong. And in the, in the scriptures, uh, even though... Um, their, their, ta- their tactic is a little bit different. Um, we see in, in the, uh, uh, with Nathan who confronted the, the, uh, the King David. And uh, as King David was uh, found out to be in, in having an adulterous relationship. And what did, what did Nathan says? He says, you are the man. He wasn't saying, you are the man. He was saying, you are the man. Well, Jesus also did the same thing to, to Peter. You know, uh, as Peter was denying the cross and what Jesus was, his purpose in life was to be. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And gave him a, a rebuke. But I would say for the general uh, rule, to admonish someone it takes, it does take humility, but it, it takes grace. It is not to lord over someone. It is never ammunition to clobber a friend. The fact is we should always forbear and accept much, much more and admonish very seldom. We should always forbear, uh, accept and affirm one another first as well. I know um, I just appreciate Pastor Doug and, and his leadership and his, and his example of just... Uh, his grace and truly his forbearance. It's uh, great to see that modeled. But for us, how do we truly admonish or correct others? And so I want to look at, uh, Jesus really addressed this, this point and then maybe a, um, a passage of scripture you've, you've heard or uh, read before. 
And so we're going to look at Jesus's outline for um, confrontation. So we're going to look at Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. You can follow along on the screen or if you can look in uh, the Bible in front of you. But uh, the first uh, verse 15 says, if your brother sins against you, follow along here. Here we go. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Well, the first thing I want to just point out uh, is as we look to, to what Jesus says, Jesus says, first, we are to do it privately. And as we think of and understand um, that when we confront someone first, we, we first need to build that, that trust, that to listen, to sympathize, and, and to affirm them as we confront them on a particular uh, item. Because that is what truly sets the stage for us to know that we truly care for them, that we're looking out for their, their best interests. It's not about what we think, but we're looking out for them. But we are first to do this privately, just one-on-one, not in an email, but one-on-one. Letting them know out of love that their actions, you see, might be stunting their growth in Christ and your concern for them. So starting by doing it probably will help them not to feel, also not to let them feel defeated. Because if we bring in a group right away, what can happen? They'll feel ganged up upon. They'll, they'll start to act out defensively and be angry. Also, the, the gossip piece can start to, to even play out. But it's important that we start with one, just one-on-one and do it privately. For if they, as Jesus says, if, if they see your honest concern, it may turn them around. And he says, you have then won your brother over. So we are to first admonish privately. Well, what happens if this doesn't happen, if it's not accepted? Let's go to verse 16. It says, but if he will not listen, take two or uh, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony testimony of two or three witnesses. And so I want to I want to just say that, uh, yeah, we're going to take others along with us. If they're not going to listen to one. Let's grab a few others. To hear their testimony. Now, I want to say that, you know, the kind of second kind of alliteration here, we, first it's privately, but I think second is whatever we do, it needs to be done positively. We need to admonish positively. It says that sometimes um, whatever we might do, whatever our actions would be, that they would see your honest care and concern. Even though Jesus says that we are to bring others into the conference conversation we still need to ask though what our outcome will be as we bring others alongside us it is to restore them it's not to to beat uh, them up it's not to punish them but it is hopefully to restore them 
see them walk again with Christ. It's easy for us in our, in our day and age to just tear people down, to criticize them. And I, I think this is an opportunity that we can truly build people up, even through admonition. And with a few friends or a family that have the right intentions, hopefully they'll see the seriousness of the issue. They'll see that it's not just one, but others who are seeing the same issue that's going on. But in all, they would see it as positive. I know for me, uh, uh, Corey, um, I know gets after some of the girls on certain issues that, uh, you know, things that they're dealing with. And, and then I'll do the same thing. But there's a difference when we do that together. There, it changes truly the, the dynamic. They, the kids understand a little more of the seriousness of the tone when two of us are truly present. Well, what happens if it's not adhered to? And Jesus concludes with verse 17. I think kind of a, let me unpack this, but I think it can be, can be harsh. It says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so the last piece does seem kind of harsh. But we have to understand, though, that this, there's much more behind this. And, and I would say that in all of this, if I could continue our, our, our P words here, but it also has to be do, done pr- prayerfully. That in all our admonition, we need to be prayer warriors and praying for that interaction. Because it can, there can be struggles as we confront others. There can be tensions that rise. It can be risky. And there's no, no guarantees that they will adhere to your advice. No guarantees that they will change or repent. And they've just had two warnings. What, do you, what is it that you think will happen now? Will they truly change? And that is why Jesus says that if we they refuse to listen to push them out of the fellowship. And there are several interpretations to what this might be. But to me, the way I grasp this a little bit, you know, again, what is our ultimate goal? It is to restore them. And hopefully as they've seen people, they've been involved in a a loving and gracious community that has really been about serving and loving and caring and praying for one another, that if they are asked to be pushed out of the fellowship, they would see the, just the seriousness of the issue. And hopefully, like a prodigal, they will see the error of their ways and they will want to return and repent. Well, but no matter what, As we look at even all those, as Jesus gives us that outline, we need prayer in each of those. You see, prayer greases the the tension. It prepares the heart, ours and theirs. It sends uh, the Holy Spirit ahead of us and, and it protects us from presumptions. Prayer allows God to be at work in the situation. And so when I think of Jesus' outline here, I also think of the Apostle Paul. 
thinking about his ministry and, and how he admonished many of the, the churches for the just craziness that was going on within them. And uh, many of those churches rejected his teaching. They rejected his, his authority. And so there's, there's hope for us as well. But I was also thinking about in my life and, and in ministry, and I was a volunteer youth um, a counselor at a, at a covenant church, and there was, there was a woman who was um, in a leadership position that became uh, pregnant out of wedlock. And then rather than the, the church going to step three and just kicking them out of the fellowship, uh, publicly dishonoring her as well as the father, uh, out of grace, the church came alongside them privately. And lovingly, were able to support both of them for the church then to continue to be their community and their support. And I know this doesn't always work in every situation when it comes to church leadership. But the couple responded and, and repented and at the same time given, given grace. And, and they stayed in the church as they raised this child. And what was cool is that she was then later um, uh, just restored to her leadership position. That was, I believe, a, a wonderful example of how um, a church responded in a gracious and Jesus-style way. But we are to admonish privately, positively, as well as prayerfully. Well, as we kind of looked at how do we give admonishment, I want to look at how to receive it. I know that's something that makes us cringe a little bit, even thinking about that, you know, how do we receive correction? Uh, and there's a right way to do it. And so the first thing I want to give, just a few tips, as one is first, we are to welcome it. And if you're like me, our pride screams against uh, every bit of this. And no one likes a correction. And uh, now we are to, to welcome it? What are you talking about? But we also have to understand, okay, sometimes people try to correct us who are ill-willed. And we have to understand who is giving us the correction and what are they truly saying. And we'll get a little bit more into that. But um, we also need to know, is there an element of truth in what they are saying? For the scriptures tell us that to receive correction is wise and helpful. And so I think of Proverbs 12.1 that says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. That's in the Bible. Proverbs 19.20 also says, Listen to advice and, and accept instruction. In the end, you will be wise. So if you want to be wise, we are to welcome correction. Second is that we should... Um, shouldn't take it personally. And that's, that's a really hard thing to do because we need to know, um, because it's hard to sometimes differentiate between what the issue is and sometimes where we put our identity. So if we admit it or not, even if it's done in, in love, admonition then feels embarrassing or, or painful. And if you're like me too, you, you feel like there's some kind of personal rejection and and again, it, it, it feels like you're threatening my identity. So we need to distinguish between 
identity and behavior. So if we don't receive it that way, it's because we need to do a little self-check ourselves and understand, is this some kind of emotional instability that we have? We need to be stable as people. And knowing first and foremost where our value, where identity, where our purpose first comes from, and that is knowing that Christ is our Lord, that we are his children, and he loves us immensely. Nothing can ever take away that identity. But we should not take it personally. The third is that we are to look for the truth and the admonition rather than looking for excuses to reject it. And I think this can also be one of the most painful things because we need to ask ourselves what the element of truth is. And this, of course, runs directly against our nature. And if you're like me, when someone rebukes us or corrects us, we instantly and creatively find reasons to reject them as well as their rebuke. So we need not to reject them right away. But we need to, on the other hand, we need to see if and reflect on, is there an element of truth in what they are saying? Well, the last one here is that finally, when someone admonishes you, you should, you should thank them for loving you enough to admonish you. And so you're probably thinking, that's, that's crazy. Why would you thank someone to, that corrected you? But at the same time, we need to think of what they may be saving us from and what kind of courage it took to actually say those words. Again, there's several Proverbs, so many Proverbs on this, but Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. As well as Proverbs 9 and 8. But admonition can help you to to get back on track in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It can save your life. It can save your marriage. It can save your job. It can save a relationship. If someone saved your life, wouldn't you go back to thank them? Alyssus S. Grant was a four-star general during the, uh, during the Civil War. And as we know, became the 18th president of the United States. But you may not know that John A. Rollins uh, was Grant's closest friend and fellow general who became Grant's chief of staff. And during the, the Civil War, no one was closer to Grant than Rollins. And you may not know, but Grant also had a drinking problem. But he made a pledge to Rollins that he would abstain from alcohol and that he would carry out his duties. On one occasion, Grant uh, broke his promise. And Rollins pleaded with great earnestness that Grant refrain. And quote, for his own sake in the nation's great and holy cause. And Rollins' advice was regarded and Grant was not impaired again. Well, if you've been to uh, Washington, D.C., to the Capitol, there is a 
magnificent monument to General Grant sitting upon his horse and is flanked by either side by battle scenes. And at the end, but at the other end of the uh, mall, and a little to the south of Pennsylvania Avenue, is Rollins Park. There stands a, a very ordinary statue of Grant's friend, Rollins. But you see, there may not have been a monument to Grant had there not been the admonition of a faithful friend. It was Rollins and his admonition who kept Grant on his horse. We need to be faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who learn to lovingly give and humbly receive admonition so that we would not just stay on our horse, but that we would stay on our course so that we would continue to walk in the light of Jesus Christ and continue to be spurred upon to follow after him. Let us pray. Lord, gracious God, we thank you for your word this morning. A hard word for some of us to even consider what it means to admonish someone or to receive correction. God, uh, may you work within our hearts to reflect upon those folks who came alongside us, who, who corrected us, and how we may need to say thank you. God, uh, be in our hearts today as we come to the table this morning as well. Thank you for your grace and your forbearance in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. truth is, God also admonishes us. He disciplines us. He, he prunes us in order that we would be more fruitful, that we would become more truly like him. And I reflect on the, the passage that says that God disciplines those he loves. And God loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. And that is what this table represents. God's grace, his forbearance in our life, even though there are times that we have disappointed him. But we know that his grace is sufficient in our weakness, isn't it? Let us turn our hearts to the words of institution this morning. Apostle Paul tells us that on the night that which Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to tell us that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul then reminds us that whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes again. There's a few instructions as we partake of the elements um, this morning. One is that this is an open table, open to all who have trusted in Christ and, 
and are considered one of his disciples. If you have yet to have trust in Christ, we ask that you would refrain from taking communion this morning. And we, we look forward to that time that you would, when you trust in Christ as he is your Lord and Savior, and we look forward to that time we can celebrate that first communion with you. Second is as we pass the elements around, we ask that you'd hold on to the elements until they all have been received and so that we can take them together as a sign of unity in Christ.